Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to Troy Stories, my new podcast. I am Adam Maya, and I am joined by former colleague, but still friend, Todd Jordkandiker, who uh, works for TrojanSports.com, Daily Trojan. Where else? I'm interning for a professor, and that's all. Okay. To, not, that will be named later, apparently. But uh, a student of the game, as I like to call him, and uh, someone whose I have always appreciated and respected. I think he is uh, an up-and-comer in this business. We're going to talk right now a little bit about what happened in Provo, Utah against BYU. You were definitely one of the people that I thought of. I'd love to hear what you're thinking about this. Tajwar did not travel for this game, but watched very closely. I want to start with Graham Harrell and everything that's going on around play calling. Did you notice anything? Did anything seem off to you as you watched that game? Yeah, it felt really strange. I missed the first minute or so of the game because ESPN didn't manage to get their stream up from the last game. <laughs> but when I did, at first it seemed fine. I checked the you know the scoreboard as it was going. Slovis marched down the field, first touchdown. I was like, okay, this is going the way it should go. Utah's defense, shouldn't have been, not Utah, BYU's defense shouldn't have been particularly good. They were horrendous at pass rushing. They weren't trying to. No, and they were rushing three on every play. The game plan should have been really simple. They should have pounded the ball down the middle, which they, if you look at the final tally of the game, 43 carries, 43 run plays. That looks like a lot, but it didn't feel that way because a lot of the runs were forced late in the game, not early in the game when they could have established the tempo, which is the first thing that felt off, especially after Slovis threw his first pick. I managed to turn on the TV right after Slovis' first pick. And then I was like, it was pretty understandable. Coming into the game, a lot of people thought that Slovis, as good as he looks to be, would have some freshman mistakes. It's bound to happen. But after that, it didn't seem like there was any sort of correction to simplify the game. Just let him breathe and come back into it slowly. They kind of tried to do the same thing, which I understand is fine, given his confidence and all that, which everyone talks about. But the fact that they didn't run the ball heavily against a three-man front, especially early in the game, which is when you want to establish that kind of tone, felt really really off to me. Now, off in terms of USC not being smart or, you know, Clay meddling with, with Graham. Cause, I mean, the pass heavy attack, I would attribute more to Graham Harris. Right. So, at that point in the game, I hadn't really started thinking about, you know, what sure. everyone's thinking about now with who was calling the plays yeah. throughout the game. At that point, it felt Graham to me. I felt like it was Graham Harrell saying, no, this is my quarterback. We're going to run the system. It's going to be fine. And after a while, yeah, like maybe, when would you say they started running the ball heavily? In that second half, right. but, but I thought it got very conservative in the fourth and in, in that overtime series. And that's where... There were a few things there that, that really caught my attention uh, that it, it didn't feel like the, the play caller that we've been getting to know. It, it's not like I go back right. with Graham Harrell or anything, but I think back to the last game versus Stanford when, and granted USC was leading, but they were still throwing quite a bit, and I remember that fourth and one, and they ended up having a... Keaton hit Michael Pittman on a quick slant. And when we asked Harold about that afterward, and this is with USC, I believe, leading, I want to say, 31-20 in the fourth. But when we asked Harold about it, and we said, oh, is that a a sign of you 
building your trust in Keaton, and he said, no, this is our offense. Right. And this is what we do. I would do that with whatever quarterback I'm playing. And that's not the way, that was not the tenor of the play calling in that fourth quarter versus BYU. Right. It looked, like I said earlier, I didn't really start thinking about that issue of who's calling the plays until late in the game. Because it seemed, for the most part, through the first half, even though I might not have agreed with it, the heavy passing attack and keeping everything the same seemed like Harold. Yeah. But as the game went on and as it started to get gritty, that whole third quarter was scoreless. It was a very, very ugly quarter of football to watch. Yeah. And from that point on, it felt like something changed. Somewhere in that third quarter, I think, was where they switched to running the ball. Step hadn't played. Well, so he, he played. He got three carries in the second quarter on one drive. Was that the second? That's the yeah, drive I was thinking. Yeah, that was the first drive that he came okay. in. He got 33 yards, and it set up a touchdown. He did not play the entire third quarter right. after doing that in that second quarter. Right. That's, that's what I was trying to get to. My bad. But in the second <laughs> quarter, when Step had that drive... They gave him a whole drive. Yeah. He was in for that whole drive. He yeah. carried the ball three times. Yeah, but, yeah. And then it looked like he'd be rotating. He obviously looked really good on that drive. Yeah. How many yards did he have? 33. 33. Yeah. A 15-yard carry, 12-yard carry, and a 6-yard six, six carry. Yeah. yeah. He looked great. And he did exactly what USC wanted to do at that point, just yeah. punish a three-man front. Right. And then suddenly the third quarter, the play calling changes and Step is suddenly back out of the rotation. Yeah. And he doesn't re-enter the game until... Yeah, he, played the, he came in for the first play of the fourth quarter. Right. Which is, is Vi already injured at that point in the game? Something happened to Vi when he was briefly out, yes. And also, they had a number of scenarios in that fourth quarter where they had short yardage. Third and one, fourth and one, and they kept feeding Step, and he kept right. converting. He converted all of them. Yeah. And... On a couple of those plays, you know, it's that's exactly why he's there. He got hit behind the line of scrimmage on one of them, and he yeah. dragged guys for like three yards, which is what he does. Yeah, that's what he does. And but the complete absence of him in the third quarter again, if we're going by the narrative that I've at least established in my head so far, where Harold ran everything for the first half for sure, mm. I think putting Step in was his call. It seemed to me that he thought that Step would be able to work against that three-man front, and he did. Mm. And it seemed like he might come back to it because he gave him a full drive, which Step had not had in yeah. the whole right. during the past two games at all until right. garbage time. And then in the third quarter for that to turn around along with the rest of the play calling the switch, yeah. I think that's when something changed. Yeah, well, <laughs> we're speculating here, but it's a fair question because we've seen a lot from Clay. And we've just seen too many favorites right. overused and too many kids that really show promise that have been underused and step seems to fall into the latter category. Right. And and we've asked about him and every time we have it's it's been well, you know, Vivai and Steven are ahead of him and they're just clear cut, you know, better options, which that that does not Seem look apparent when you're problem, watching. No. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, especially Carr in the last game. Carr had his worst game of the season so far. The first two games he looked good. But against a three-man front, once again, I keep repeating it because it does matter that much. Yeah, sure. It should be so easy to run against a three-man front. But his playing it's, style doesn't seem to doesn't translate well to that because Carr. He doesn't kick a hole. I don't think. Yeah, Carr isn't good at being decisive behind the line of scrimmage. I think his best attributes come from when he crosses that first line of the defense and he can choose what moves to put on. But being decisive and being a one-cut back, he's not good at that. Yeah. And he struggled really badly yeah. early in the game. He kept dancing in the hole and getting hit, whereas Car- not Car, Step would come in, and Step picks a hole and runs through it and runs into whoever's on the other <laughs> end of the hole, <laughs> right. which, is, which works for him and which works against a three-man front. 
Yeah. And with that being said, the argument that Step is somehow far behind Malapaya and Carr, where they're not even splitting carries three ways. It's one and two, no, yeah. and then Carr, well, it's really Step, one. a different it, Yeah, third. it's really Vi one. Yeah. Vi has about twice as many carries as Carr, right. and then Carr would be second, and then Step has been a distant third. In this game, he happened to have as many as Carr, though. Right. But because in the, in the fourth quarter, they finally started feeding him. Yeah. And, and that goes back to Vi Malapaya also. I think Vi Malapaya is a very good running back. Yeah. He has good vision. He runs really hard. He runs really, really hard. He runs his heart out on every play. And yet, it just... The game doesn't seem to change when Vi is on the, on the field. No. But when Step comes on, yeah. there's a noticeable difference in the way that everything operates. Yeah. Uh, it's a different attitude. Uh, it's probably a different purpose. You might even be telegraphing a little bit more uh, with him, right. but but it's still effective. It's been effective this season when they've used him. Uh, people are probably going to misunderstand or mistake my, uh, I guess, my support for Step as not liking Vavai. Well, not next, at all. Not yeah, not at all. He, he's an all-around back. Uh, he's important because I think he brings stability, security. Uh, reliability. Uh, he's very smart. Uh, Step actually ag- Step acknowledged Vavai after the game that you know that he's helping me. He's helping me to to know my reads, uh, to you know to just know my lanes. I mean, I almost wondered if the way Step talked about his role is he totally prepared to take on more? Because the way he plays, you would think he could do more. Right. You're right, he could take on twice as many carries. Yeah. He's one of those guys with a very simple playing style that's yeah. pretty easy to translate. Right. And so I'm sure, like, it kind of reminds me of Rojo a few years back where he might not have a handle on everything, but you just kind of deal let with that. And, yeah, you let him go. Because I actually think Marquise is their best pure runner. Yeah, uh, where they, they all have different skills, and I mean, Carr's the best receiver, and he's great on the perimeter. And you were noting before the show how you know get him in the open space, yeah. and you know he'll he'll create space yeah. for him in that setting. Which, to his credit, for even though I gave him a little bit of, I got I got a little hard against him for how he ran, but as a pass catcher, he was really important. In yeah, the game. he converted a couple of first downs catching the ball on the flat and right. making guys miss, which is what he does better than anyone else on this team. Yeah, yeah. No, Keaton actually mentioned after the fact too that he needed to go there more and probably could have thrown to Stephen Carr a couple more times. Uh, and Vivai can do that as well. And, and Step has really made progress in that. So right. I, I know there's a misnomer out there that he cannot catch at all. He's not Rojo. Uh, he no. He's fine. He, he, I wouldn't call that a strength for him, but nor is it a weakness. Right. And we haven't really seen him do it in a game at all yet. No, I'm just from so, what we know right. in practice. Yeah, yeah. So we don't even know how it will right. translate once he actually yeah. gets the chance to catch balls. Right. But I'm fine with playing Vivai regularly. Giving him 23 carries, I don't, I don't see that. Right. I, I don't understand that. And there's, you know, the old football adage of wearing down a defense with your running back, but that very much depends on your running back. <laughs> yeah. When you put it simply, like Vavai, his body is not the type that should be subject to 23 carries against a big defense. Yeah. And he looked like he got dinged up pretty yeah. bad at the end. Where a step is the kind of guy that punishes people if you want to run him 20 to 30 times down someone's throat. Yeah, I think that's pro- probably why he's probably effective is that he came in the game and everybody's a little bit worn down later in the game. And 
Then you bring in a fresh kid who's 235 pounds right. and he's ready to bowl you over, and he did. So, again, very peculiar the way he was managed, the way the ratio kind of fell, uh, and it wasn't effective. And so it'd be one thing if you know they were, they were scoring regularly, then there, there's really no need to talk about how often they threw or how often they run. But when you know, they were basically contained, you would say, yeah. throughout the game, then you start to wonder, well, okay, is that Harrell? You know, 34 passing attempts, 43 rushing attempts. And, and what I really want to bring up today was that final sequence in overtime. Because that's the one that bothered me. Right. What did you think about what was happening in that series? Of course, the setting is that BYU just makes the field goal. They're up three, and USC takes over at the BYU 25. And on first down, they head out to Vavai. Right. He got stopped for a loss. One yard. Yeah. And then they head out to him again, and he picked up five. And now it's third and six. And, of course, the fateful throw over the middle right. in traffic that gets picked off. I... As a Seahawks fan, one of the constant gripes of the last two years is running on second and long. It's something that drives me and every other Seahawks fan crazy, and I think most football fans feel the same way because in general, whether you want to get into the analytics of it or just the football sense, running on second and ten usually does not give you a manageable third and ten. Yeah. And you click him on the third and manageable, yeah. but third and six, which I guess the cutoff is seven for a yeah. key called long, whatever. Third and six is not ideal because yeah. they know you're throwing. You can't run on third and six. Right. So you are telegraphing what you're doing. Exactly. And that's just not something you want to do in any situation. And when you do that, we'll skip over that for now. And you run twice and you end up with, what, third and six mm-hmm. on the last play for Keaton. The route pattern that was called there was what I call a stagnant route pattern, where people end up sitting instead of being fluid and moving across the field. Yeah, they did. Which seemed incredibly odd to me. Yeah, I, and they all got right before the marker. Right. Did you yeah. Drake London was two yards in front of yeah. the marker. Yeah, and Pittman was, was open. He was the first read that I yeah. guess Keaton apparently skipped, but he was before the marker too. Yeah. And as far as play design goes, that's mind-boggling to me yeah that doesn't make sense on a third down especially you want to buy you want to have the play open up somehow at some point because when you run a curl combination like that if it's not there at first what has to happen is your quarterback has to move and everyone Mm. has to go in a scramble drill instead of having their routes that are pre-planned yeah which seems like the much more natural way to run that which is hard because Third down, most defenses will bring some pressure. You might not have that time. Right. I, I don't know that Keating was necessarily rushed because he kind of made a quick decision. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you're used to Russell Wilson, and yeah. that, that's not what this is no. over here. Okay, Keating's cool, but he, he ain't Russell. Uh, but my contention was really the play before, and that was the play that I asked about after the game. I asked Clay, I said, okay, <laughs> Clay, after the one-yard loss, which I didn't mind running on that play. I feel yeah, like on first on down, first is completely I think it's an open-ended play where you can – the defense does not know what you're going to do. And you, you could – I guess uh, you could fairly expect to pick up like three or four on a run play on first down. Do you remember which way they ran it on the play? On first down? Yeah. I don't. I, I can't okay. recall at the very moment right now. Uh, obviously, Vivai got stopped in the backfield. They, they ate it up. They, right. they were on top of it. But, but even that, I, now, 
is that Graham Harrell? I don't know. See, this is where it gets kind of dicey, and I don't know that we'll get the... the that answer to that. Yeah, the, yeah, right. But they do run a first down. I moved past that in my line of questioning. I didn't feel like there was any need to go there. And I asked, why did you run again on second and 11? And here's my logic, okay? You're trying to win the game right here. You're down three. Yeah. You're not trying to They're settle for a game. field goal. Yeah. Right. Now, in your back pocket... Your kicker just hit one from 50-plus right. with room to spare. So you know that if you got nothing out of these three plays, you can attempt a field goal that, that he can make. You, you don't want to do that, but you can do that. So you're not terrified of kicking a 42, 43-yard field goal, which is what it would have been right. know, on 4th and 10, 4th and 11. Yeah, it would have been 42 yards, yeah. Yeah, if they got back to the line of scrimmage, 43 maybe, depending. You know, they lost a yard in first down. But you're trying to score a touchdown here. Right. I and mean, that's what I know about Graham Harrell, right? We're still learning a lot about him, but that's what I do know, is that he's right. trying to get seven here. But his offense is designed to get in the end zone, not kick a field goal in this instance. Right. Okay. So second and 11, you give yourself two chances to convert, right? You're probably not scoring in one play from the 25, 26. Yeah. But you, you're give, you only have so many downs, right? And you're not, gonna, you're not going for it on fourth and 10. You're kicking a field goal. So you have two plays to work with. Therefore, when they ran on second down, I was stunned. And that's, the, that's really where I thought, okay, something is up. Something is off about that. I find that weird that, that they would settle for a field goal. Essentially what you're doing is you're giving yourself one play, which ended up being third and six, right. one down to convert, and if you don't get it, then you're kicking. Right. Well, I, I don't just, think yeah. – I, I just believe that Harold would have gone about that differently. Just to play a devil's advocate here. Sure. The only counter to that that I can think of, which I think might have some merit, is that they, I think they may have assumed that BYU was also going to sit back and assume they were going to pass the ball after getting stuffed on first down. Again, it's Graham Harrell. It's second and 11 now. They, BYU yeah, yeah. still have oh, three. They probably and, are anticipating a throw, right. but, but even in running, you're not going to convert it. You, you might get four. You might get like maybe six, right? You're not going to... Even with, with dropping eight, I mean, you're not going to pick up 11. Right. That's the problem here. And by throwing it, I feel like the, the likelihood is that you would, if you're not incomplete, you're going to get more than that five. Right. That's well, my problem here. Yeah. Because, and, it, and if it's third and short, guess what? You actually can do either. They're on their heels. If it's like third and two because you picked up nine, then you can do whatever you want on yeah. third and two. And you're not bound to throwing in that instance. My other qualm with this whole series that kind of what? ties back No in. Marquise? Yeah. <laughs> the whole fourth quarter, it was Marquise, and he was hot. He had right. the fumble, which is bad. Yeah, he, he recovered the fumble. He, it was a yeah. moot point, right. which is another thing that we'll talk about in a minute about Clay bringing that up. Yeah. I found that odd, but go ahead. But yeah, it was Marquise was hot. He yeah. played the fourth quarter. He played a good fourth quarter. And Vi had been hurt and sitting out for most right. of the quarter. He was yeah. cold and coming off getting dinged up. Right. Why do you run him down the middle? You bring him back in. I know. Yeah. Right. I, I understand that either. And it, it seemed like Marquise was 
just not trusted. Even yeah. though he did have a few more carries after that fumble. That yeah. was not his last carry. Right. But after the game, when we asked about Marquise not playing more, Clay pointed to the fumble, which doesn't add up at all. Because no. that fumble happened with about seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. We're asking, why did Marquise not play more before that right. point, and not after, after that point? After which they gave him fourth down carries. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, he got yeah. he got three more carries after that fumble, but we were wondering why did he not play more prior to that fumble and Clay's pointing to that fumble, which to me is a very weak right. I don't I don't have a I don't I don't want to tell you the real reason why I'm not playing and and so I can I can lean on that when Again, they recovered that fumble. Uh, he's not the first to fumble. Uh, he, he's not the first on this team to, to make a mistake. There were others in this game that were of greater magnitude throughout yeah. the game. I mean, Keating was making them. Obviously, I'm not calling for Keating to be pulled after every pick. But I just didn't. I don't believe him. I didn't believe that. I didn't believe that as a reason why Marquise wasn't playing. Yeah, not at all. That didn't. And we haven't, you know, they haven't let us watch yeah. practice for the last couple of weeks. Yeah. But as long as we have, Step has never appeared to have a fumble problem. No, no, no. I've never seen Step fumble in practice. No. And so if you if you if you want to guarantee yourself yards on that series, right, to set up a, a shorter distance on third down, then who's the one running back you're going to right. out of any of them? I mean, you're going to the guy that's averaging six yards a carry. Right. If you hand it to Step twice and he runs straight up the middle, I guarantee it's more than four. Run, he gets at least three to four both times. Right. He's, not, he's getting more than four combined between the two carries. Right. Easily. Guaranteed. And everyone on that coaching staff, I, they know that. <laughs> yeah. They know that. Right. The other thing, again, going back to the, the decision not to throw, although Keaton had the picks... And that is, a, you know, that, that, was a, that, that definitely impacted things. We can't act like that was right. in a vacuum, right? That, that had an effect on, I think, everything that they were doing thereafter. Right. Even with them, though, they were averaging 8.9 yards in the camp. Sure. Yeah. He, he, he completed uh, nearly 70% you know of passes. Outside of his three picks and maybe two to three other he had, throws, he, did. he didn't play a pretty good game. Yeah, but it was that's a lot of throws. Yeah. Like, we have to be fair here because yeah. it was three picks and at least two, if not three others, that, like, really could have, should have been picked. And it, there it was, was the one... Weirdly dangerous. Yeah, that and then the one that he threw, it wasn't a risky throw, but he missed an easy third down, second down conversion on an out. Yeah, you can almost name all ten incompletions, yeah. basically. Right. Uh, it, it was a... But with that, Paradoxical performance. Right. But with that being said, the thing that Keaton struggled with was BYU dropping eight men. Right? Right. Keaton's mistakes, all, almost all of them, seemed like him missing the zone defenders, dropping back from their, you know, from their hooks. And so, to run a curl combination when you're clearly faced with eight men dropping, which is exactly what he struggled with, and a curl is one of the hardest throws to complete in an eight-man drop. Because you usually have two defenders on either side, right. either of whom can get to the ball. Yeah. It makes no sense to me. Yeah, it, it was odd. It was an odd. That was an odd play. That whole sequence was odd. I found the latter part of the game odd. I found the post-game odd. Right. So, as you are aware of, uh, Graham Harrell did not address the media after the game. Mm-hmm. And... We will learn why, I'm sure. We're, we're recording this Monday afternoon, and we're going to talk to him later Monday. But uh, following the previous two games, Harold spoke with us, which 
was really a gift, a delight, because Key Martin did not do that in home games. Right. And he was hard enough to get even at a road game. Uh, a lot of assistant coaches do not make themselves available following any game. And Harold's done it. Uh, it seemed pretty willingly after both the first and second game. Is it because they lost? Is it because something happened is happening? Yeah. yeah, that he's upset about. Uh, we don't know now. We we might not know definitively. Uh, of course, I've heard a thousand and one different things. I'll leave that out there for uh, for the internet. Naturally, we asked Clay after the game who was making those calls there late in the game, and he studied with Harold, and then. We asked him again on Sunday night about the responsibilities and the play calling, and he doubled down and said that Graham's making all the calls. I just don't know if I can believe that. Whatever the case, it all made for a, a confounding loss, one that I think I think it buries Clay Helton. Uh, it, it's not like he's been fired in the aftermath of it, but I just I feel like it basically makes it inevitable for him right. because it, you don't win this game. There are a couple other games that you, you're not going to win this year, yeah. and and ultimately you're not taking the program where it expects to be, right. and and where it ultimately should be. If the Trojans were to have won this game, yeah, even which, ugly, which, like just say they won, right? If they just won it, however yeah. it was, looking at the schedule ahead. They would have lost a couple of games. This t- this defense especially isn't good enough to yeah. know, not lose two to three games minimum right. on the schedule. Okay. And I think that maybe would have been fine. I think people, given the circumstances, Clay Helton might have gotten a pass again for this one with a freshman quarterback stepping in for his injured starter and then going, what, losing three or four games to really good schools. Would have been okay, but if you start that with a loss to BYU and you're two and one, and then you run into Utah, Washington, Oregon, Notre Dame, Notre Dame don't, yeah, that's not that doesn't look like it's going to end up well for you. Yeah, I think what was very frustrating for a lot of viewers was that USC looked like 2018 USC. Yeah, and, and I didn't expect that. Right, I, I didn't expect like 12 perfect games or, or even Keating to just kill it week right. to week. But they were just so undisciplined, and they, they really beat themselves. Yeah, the lack like, of discipline. They, I'm was... sure as they watch the film in this game, there are deep regrets about not winning it. Yeah. Even yeah. maybe uh, coming out of the game, they were angry. But I think, I, I wonder if the, <laughs> that mood changed in, in, you know, in the 24 hours after that. Right. Well, and we might not see it coming out of practice on Monday, but I bet you Sunday was a sad day because they, even not playing their best, they should win that game. Yeah. They should have easily come away with it. BYU is not a good... I'm a big fan of Zach Wilson. I said so before the game. Yeah. I think he's actually very good. But aside from Zach Wilson, I don't think any part of BYU's roster is special. And they weren't. It was just Zach Wilson. And... Kind of creating for himself, you know, downfield throws. Williams is a good player. Yeah. But otherwise, it's a game that mistakes and all and lack of discipline should have been easy to win. Yeah, you you have to give the game away to to lose it. And they did. They they gave the game away, you know, obviously the turnovers, but I just feel like with a a number of decisions there. Right. uh, But it it foreshadows that there will be more, you know. Yeah. Now, one thing that I have seen in a couple of places from people 
is a what if. What if this is like Sam Darnold's Utah game? Yeah, like not. And I don't anyone entertain that? Yeah, and I just wanted to come out and say that. <laughs> sure, that no, is people, not, yeah, that is they, not they lost at Utah, right? And it, almost by a similar score uh, with a freshman quarterback, if you will. Yeah. No. Not the same thing. Yeah, they're, they're not going to win the next nine games and go to the Rose Bowl. No. That, that's not what's around the corner here. Because um, the bigger thing here, which we haven't even touched on so far, is I think the biggest problem on this team is the defense can't tackle. No one on the defense can tackle. At every single level, when I went back and I watched the film, it was terrible to watch. And I've, it's not just this game. Even against Stanford and Fresno, the tackling was not ideal. It, there were missed tackles at every level. And not just missed tackles, but there were a lot of plays where I looked and it seemed like players didn't want to tackle. Really? Especially, yeah, a couple of guys. Well, I can tell you this. Last week during practice, which we're no longer allowed in, yeah. But I, I, there are people that are in there. I came to find out that they did not tackle. They did not tackle last week. They, All they were of last full, week. Yeah, wow. they were in full pads for a day, as they are one to do. Uh, it was Tuesday of last week, and they did not tackle then, and they did not tackle the whole week. Yeah, and then they did not. They didn't have any the live game. tackling. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was bad. This like there were multiple plays where people, where USC defenders would come up and get in position for a tackle and kind of just wait. It was weird. It looked like they didn't want to. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know what that means. But even on um, what's the Wilson's touchdown quarterback draw, there were three guys in position, two of whom kind of lagged off, and then Isaiah Polamau jumped at the end and let Wilson drag him two yards. Right. And if you go back and watch the film of the game... That's what happens all throughout. Mm-hmm. BYU got the first contact on a lot of plays was maybe eight or nine yards behind where the play ended. Well, they, they had a number of explosive plays. I remember at one point I tallied it. It might have been in sometime in the second half where USC had just one play of over 15 yards, the long completion of Chrome Hook. Yeah. This is prior to the touchdown to Pittman. BYU at that point, I believe, had at least eight. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not because they're, they're athleticism. No, it's definitely not. That's not what it is. <laughs> but, yeah, the defense couldn't tackle. And Clancy um, Pendergast moved to a man coverage for most of this game that they hadn't really used. USC usually runs some form of a cover three. Uh-huh. But they ran straight man for a lot of the game. And, yeah, there are so many problems on defense, but there's no pressure. Second of all, but with no pressure and man coverage, your defenders are going to get lost, and they yeah. did. And that happened throughout the game, and it didn't change. They just kept going back to it, and especially with linebackers who have a really tough time covering. All right, well, real quick here, I know you only have a couple minutes. What are you expecting from USC Utah Friday night at the Coliseum? I have had a hard time figuring it out. I don't think they'll win. I don't think it's likely, but I. I do think it's possible. It very much depends on how Keaton plays, which, you know, is a no-brainer. But I don't think this team is bad enough to where I can write them off for this game yet. Yeah. Utah looks good, but I don't think this is as good as a couple of the Utah teams we've had for the past couple of years. Really? Yeah. I think this is the best one. I've heard that from a lot of people, but... <laughs> I mean, I, we don't know yet. We yeah. haven't seen enough, but and that's what I'm I, expecting. I just can't buy into their quarterback. I, I'm just not a believer. As someone who's a big fan of running quarterbacks, mm-hmm. 
he's too inconsistent for me, and I think on any given day he can lose you a game. Okay. Okay, yeah, I mean, he can also rip you apart. And he can. Right, you know, he can do it. Right, and yeah. this is the kind of defense that he will feast on or have right. in the past. And USC is terrible at containing mobile quarterbacks. Yeah. So... So you might, see, I feel like it's a bad matchup for USC. Well, you might be right about Huntley in the big picture. Yeah. I think that between Utah's defensive line and their ability to cover on the perimeter, yeah. I think it can really kind of sequester this area. Like, they're built to defend it better than a lot of other teams, teams in the Pac-12. Yeah. yeah. That's fair. I still, my thing is, I still think USC's receiving court is the best in the Pac-12, and you can still argue in the country. I think. I, Just they need to be faster. They need to play faster. I like them a lot. I'm high on them. I think individually you have a lot of good players there. Right. But I mean, Amon Ra was four yards. Totally like four yards removed from that game. Mm-hmm. Which it, it, I put that on coaching. Really, I'm not. I'm not pointing to Amon Ra here, but yeah. that that shouldn't happen. He's arguably your top guy. He had one target, four yards in the game. Right. It's inexcusable. Yeah. You have to find a way to get in the ball. And again, the, I feel like a lot of the game plan, and maybe this is on Harold, has been force feeding Tyler Vons, hmm. who I think is USC's third best receiver. Yeah, at best. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure that the defense are keen a little bit more on Amon Ra and Pittman. Yeah. But you can't key more on two guys if they're doing right, that. Then everything yeah. should. You can't be, be both of them. What I've seen is some bracketing of yeah. Pittman, and I've. I saw a lot of Amon Ra open last game, and yeah. some of it's Slovis missing him, I think, and not okay. looking for him necessarily, and some of it's the play call being in another direction. I saw a number of plays where you know the play was like a flood design or something to one side with Amon Ra clearing to the other, Yeah, where you know he's clearly not designed to be the focus of the play. Yeah, I and mean, as we talk about them, I, I do realize that we can see this team take off in the passing game at a moment's notice. And it's not like Utah is an unwinnable game, but it's not one that I'm right. expecting them to win. So as far as my prediction, I don't <laughs> expect it to be a blowout for Utah, which I think a lot of people do. Yeah. I think it'll be closer than most people think, but I still don't okay. think USC's defense is good enough. Yeah, I was already there before. Yeah. before. Before they played BYU, I already kind of chopped that one right. up as a, a loss. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not backing off of that, obviously. Right. Anyway, Chajwar, well, thank you for the time. Yeah, Appreciate it. Thank you so much, man. All right, you can check out all of his work again at trojansports.com and the Daily Trojan and uh, whoever that uh, professor is interning for. Can't tell disclose me, that. Yeah, I don't even know what you're doing there, but uh, congrats. One day. <laughs> thank you so much, man. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of the Troy Stories Podcast. I'll be back next week after the game uh, talking about Utah and about the upcoming game against Washington. Until then.